All right, I'm going to go ahead and get started, so that way we can be done, I'd say, about 1.30. That usually gets people in their seat. So today, I am going to be talking about the greatest sermon ever. I stole it from a guy that you all should know about 2,000 years ago, this guy named Jesus from Nazareth. Now, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, and you could probably read this sermon in about 10 minutes. So it possibly could be called the long devotional on the mount. But don't let that fool you. This is packed with tons of meat and potatoes in it and teaching. So does anyone know who the audience was on the Sermon of the Mount? Jesus said it was Jesus says it was his disciples that came to him when he began to speak. And he wasn't talking about the 12 apostles, but the audience was intended for those who were following Jesus. There is sort of this picture like when Moses came down from the mountain to give the law to the Israelites. And we have Jesus giving the law of Christ. You can see this language about the kingdom, which refers to Jesus being the king. You see language like children of God which is also used to talk about the kids of the kingdom and who they were. And if you pay close attention, you can see that Jesus is declaring that he is the Messiah. There were expectations that the Messiah was going to free Israel from the Romans. Also, Israel was waiting for someone like Moses to teach them, as it was written or prophesied in Deuteronomy 18. Today, I would like to talk about the Beatitudes. Jesus declares eight Beatitudes, and I won't keep you to 1.30, so we will not get through all of them today. That was just to get you guys in the seat. So this will carry over into next week and probably uh, a few weeks, just depending on how it lines up with Easter. Uh, but the Beatitudes came from a Latin word that means happy or blessed. The Israelites knew that they were going to be blessed when the Messiah came. Jesus will make it clearer on how they will be blessed. Jesus will clarify on things that they were supposed to uh, know about, like whether they were going to fight the Romans to gain independence. Jesus is going to clarify on things like how the kingdom of God works. We are going to find being blessed can be hard. And the format of these Beatitudes is you are blessed because of this. It's this idea that we have to go through some earthly trials and then we get a heavenly blessing. But before I get started, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your words. I just pray that you open up our hearts, make the soil in our hearts ready to receive it with gladness. You would use it to produce fruit that you would help us understand it and think of it the same way you intended your audience way back when Israel heard it from the mount. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you can please find Matthew 5, 1 through 12, and when you find it, please stand for the reading of God's word. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets that were before you. You may be seated. So let's go to the first beatitude. And this is found in Matthew 5.3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, the first thing we need to know is what does it mean to be poor in spirit? So let's look at some scripture so we can get some context about what Jesus is talking about. And I'm going to start with Psalms 34, 17, and 18. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And we can see from the context that someone who has been crushed in spirit can be righteous. Uh, Being poor in spirit doesn't mean that you have to be a slave to sin. And there isn't even a promise in here that says that we will change being poor in spirit on the earth. Also, we can go to Isaiah for more context on this subject. And in Isaiah 66.2, it reads, Has not my hand made all things? So they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones that I look on with favor. Those who are humble, contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. When we have a poor spirit, we have a needy spirit. A spirit that comes to God continually to be filled. We have to realize our dependence on God. It's because of His grace we can hear and understand Him. It's because of His grace we can be forgiven. It's because of His grace that we can live a holy life separated from the world. It's His grace that we can continually be in fellowship with Him. But in order to get His grace, we have to realize we need it. And we need to come to Him regularly asking for it. This is like being on a lifelong medication. And if we don't continually come to God, we can die. We can't do this in our own strength, money, intelligence. Our own abilities can't save us on their own. We can't read these teachings and decide to cut out parts and add parts to it because we can improve God's instructions. That would be trusting in ourselves. We have to be dependent on God. But if we realize His goodness and how poor in spirit we are, we will come to Him and inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that's how being poor in spirit leads to inheriting the kingdom of heaven. What a promise. The next beatitude is found in Matthew 5, 4. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So what does that mean? Does that mean anyone who mourns or has a loss will be comforted? Well, what is Jesus trying to teach his disciples? Were they all mourning? Well, Luke gives us a little bit more insight. So let's go to look and see his, Luke and see his version of this beatitude. And it's found in Luke 6 at the end of 21. It says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And then also in Luke 6 at the end of 25. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. It's this idea that living the Christian life can make us sad. People didn't like the teachings of Jesus back then. People don't like them now. People hated Jesus. And Jesus tells us that the world hated him, so they will also, he, the world also will hate those who carry his message. There's this sadness of friends leaving you because you carry the message. Jesus talks about how family members may disown you because of his message. We carry each other's burdens, which also carry their own weight of sadness. We are sad for those who are living for themselves instead of living for Christ. There can be persecution, more so for Israel when Christ gave this message, but we still do face some kinds of persecution. There is a real danger of dying for them. And as Christians, we are called to crucify the flesh and its desires so we can dedicate our lives to Christ. Also, this comes with the understanding that we should be ready to make a choice. We should decide in our hearts that if a gun was to our head, would we be ready to confess Jesus all the way to death? Like Jesus, many were persecuted till the end. But there is this encouragement from the Beatitude that says, I know you're sad, but it will not compare to the comfort you will receive when you are in heaven. Also, there is a warning that comes with this blessing. That warning is don't be too comfortable. And as Luke said, Jesus said, you have to decide whether you're going to be comfortable in this world. Because if you are too comfortable in this world, you can mourn in the afterlife. The next beatitude is Matthew 5, 5. And it says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So what does it mean to be meek? Well, this comes from an Old Testament scripture found in Psalm 37, 7 through 11. And it reads, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out wicked schemes. Refrain from your anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more, though you look for them, and you will not find them. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Being meek is being gentle. It's the opposite of that idea that we should be angry. There's a popular thought for the Israelites at that time is that 
the Messiah, Messiah was going to come and he would use violence to free themselves from the captivity of the Romans. After they did that, they would prosper in the land that God had promised them. But when you read the prophecies of the Old Testament, you can kind of see where they're coming from. But Jesus is teaching them now from the Old Testament that this is not what God wants. God didn't want to free them from the captivity of Rome. Later we learn God wanted us to free us from the captivity of sin. He is teaching us that we do not fight for this earthly land. God's kingdom is made of gentle people. Those who are not angry and wrath-filled. God calls us to extreme meekness. And we see that later in the Sermon on the Mount. This is found in Matthew 5, 38 and 39. You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek also. This is one of those really hard teachings that people are tempted to make excuses on why not to carry this out. But Jesus instructs us to be so meek that we do not exchange violence for violence. And you should tell your kids that this too, even if they started it. This goes against everything that the world teaches us. The world has infiltrated the churches and have tried to explain these verses away. But we are to trust in God to take care of violent people. And as the cliche says, meekness is not weakness. It takes more strength to be meek than to retaliate, whether that is verbal or physical. Sometimes there is this temptation that we give people what they deserve. When we leave that decision to be made by God, then that leads us to inheriting the land. And from my studies, it appears that Jesus is talking about New Jerusalem. But that's a whole other sermon. I won't get into that now. The next beatitude is found in Matthew 5, 6. And I'll take a drink because this just reminds me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So I want to balance the scripture out. And I, so we'll look also at Luke's version found in Luke 6, 21. Blessed are those who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Woe to you who are, who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. So we see Matthew talking about spiritual food, and it seems that Luke is talking about actual food. Um, so let's go farther in the Sermon of the Mount and see what Jesus is talking about. And we'll go to Matthew 24 and 25. And it says, No one can serve two masters. Either one will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then he goes on to say, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? And then we skip down to verse 32 and 33. It says, For the pagans run after all these things. And your, father, your heavenly Father knows 
that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So you can see Jesus, the greatest teacher ever, is telling us that there is a fight in our hearts between going after food and things in a hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says, seek the kingdom first. Seeking our king for righteousness more than seeking for actual food. When we do, we can continually be filled. Now, when I was younger, I had a problem with drugs and alcohol. I had a DUI when I was 16. And we used to joke with each other and say the cure for a hangover is never stop drinking, which is some really, really bad advice. But God's riches are endless. We can keep from having a spiritual hangover if we keep drinking His righteousness. I want to have the same mentality for drinking and eating the righteousness of God. If you don't eat for a long time, your stomach will hurt. It's amazing that God has designed humans and give us pain so we don't die. Even Adam and Eve, after they sinned, he blessed them with the pain of hunger. That way they didn't die right away. And we should pay attention to our spiritual lives. There could be things going wrong in our life because God is trying to get our attention. He doesn't want any of us to perish. And we have a great example of when Jesus was hungry. And I don't know about you guys, but man, when I'm hungry, that's all I can think about. So let's look at Jesus' example found in Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then or the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Wow, Jesus didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. And if you had one giant miracle, do you think you would use it on fasting 40 days and 40 nights? Not that Jesus only had one miracle, but that he would put himself through that miraculous discomfort. This goes to show you the hunger Jesus had for his Father. He left all the distractions and went to the desert because he was led by the Spirit. And now, I didn't look it up on Google, but I'm pretty sure there wasn't a Starbucks in that desert. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys, but I have never even fasted 40 days uh, from caffeine uh, since becoming an adult. But yes, even in Jesus' weakness of being hungry, he said no to the tempter. Jesus hungered for righteousness over food. Satan goes on to tempt Jesus over things like giving him the whole kingdom of the world. But nothing can fulfill us in this world like God can. As time goes on, humanity invents more and more things to try to live a fulfilled life. 
But God put a hunger in us. People don't realize it, though. People try to fill that void with drugs, binge-watching shows, shopping, sex, friends, and even our marriages. But if we do not allow God to fill it, we're just going to end up being disappointed. Jesus tells us to fill our hearts with every word that proceeds from God's mouth. And my recommendation on that is to read every word of the Bible. Jesus didn't say, find a book that talks about some of the words of God. So let's read all of God's word and meditate on them. Let's pray to God and ask him to be filled. And if we are fulfilled, how much sin can enter in something that's full? Like this water bottle right here. If this is completely filled up on the top, how can, how can you fit more sin in there? Now, if it's like this one right here, you can fit all kinds of sin in there. Some garbage man's throwing his trash here. Uh, but you can fit all kinds of sin in here. But if we're hungry and thirsting and getting fulfilled, it doesn't leave much room for sin. There are times, even I, I, I don't want to get up and read my Bible. Honestly, there's times where I don't even want to get out of bed. But I find when I pray and ask God for that hunger, He's always provided for me. Jesus promises us that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. And not Kroger brand righteous, but the real thing. Authentic righteousness. And John does warn us about people who deceive us on righteousness. As it reads, I forgot to tell him, so it won't be on the screen. But you can write it down if you want or put it in your phone. In 1 John 3, 7, it says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And that's why we fill up, because we want to be just like Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for being so amazing. I just pray that you would, every single one of us, including myself, would hunger and thirst for you. Not just on Sundays, not just sometimes when we hear one word of encouragement, but we would wake up longing for you, that you would be the first thing we would want to seek because we want to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. I pray that you would take the hunger out from us for things that, that, that hinder that, that get in the way of our relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.